there is a war raging. A war like no other. A war of spirit and truth. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, I just pray that you would raise up a generation, raise up a generation of warriors that would war for the kingdom of God and that they would begin to proclaim the good news. They'd begin to proclaim the gospel for such a time as this. We just thank you in Yeshua's name. I ask, Father, that this would just be an event of less of us, Father, and more of you. Lord, help us to be, to be surrendered in every word that we say. And Father, we lay down all of our weaknesses before you, all of our inadequacies, all of the things we don't feel confident in. And Father, I thank you that in our weakness, you're strong. When people come here, Lord, it would not be about a man, a ministry or whatever, but it would be about you, that they would see you, they would find you, they would leave with a deeper encounter with you and that they would meet the great physician to care for their needs and who doesn't leave. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would imprint on these people the relationship that you desire to have with them, not just at an event, but everywhere they are, at home and so on. And I pray that they would not see this as a high, but as a lifestyle. And I pray that this would be a, a seed that goes out in their lives and bears fruit. Everyone here who's who's made sacrifices, Father, I pray that you would come and, and use the sacrifice, but fire on the sacrifice, Father, in the name of Yeshua. We hide behind our Torah scrolls, our seats. We hide behind our shofars. We're as mean as the devil, though we keep Sabbath in the feast. We can't sit at a Shabbat fellowship with another brother down the road because our theologies and our doctrines will not allow us to. And we think that we're right by separating. We think that we're right by backing up and backing away. And we can even pull a few scriptures out of the Bible that justifies us. The whole while your heart is hard as a rock and the Spirit of God, you wouldn't know it from a hole in the ground. And God wants to change that tonight. But she knew something wasn't right. And so she goes and she has an ultrasound. And there's something like a coriander bump where the, the placenta is growing, uh, bleeding inside of her that is equal to the size of the baby and growing at a faster rate than even the baby is. And she found out right in this window where they basically said, if, she, if this baby is going to survive, the, the highest chance this baby has to survive, which was not a high percentage, is in the next 13 weeks. And she found out and she goes, I don't know where this church is at on any, any of this type of stuff, but the Bible tells me that you're supposed to lay hands. If I ask to lay hands, will you lay hands? And so I remember that day like nothing else. It's overcast. My wife and I are sitting in, in her living room. We didn't know why she called us. And she's telling us, and she's like, will you, call, will you allow me to come up before the congregation and lay hands? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, this is a test of the Lord. I've read it in the Bible. I've never experienced it, and the experiences I've had have been hyper-emotionalism, and they have been a, 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 a kind of a, a, a perversion of charismata 
in, in the world. And so what do we do when we have perversions? Well, we build walls, right? And we, you know, as messianics, sometimes we build walls against the charismata or the charismania or those types of charismatic elements. But other people do it on the other side. They'll build, charismatic people will build up walls against theology and doctrine and the word. And they'll allow emotionalism to be the dictation of what happens. And we just do it. It's a human heart problem. It's a human mind problem. We just do it. We build up walls. And I said, well, the Bible says that, that we should do it, so we'll do it. And I'm, I got to tell you the truth, guys. I was not sure. I'm like, all right, Lord, I am out of the boat. We are looking at you, eyes on you. And the first thing you're going to give us is a laying on of hands with a baby? What happens if this baby doesn't make it? Everybody's going to think I'm a fraud. I just confessed from my own pulpit that I was a fraud. Like, God, what are you doing? And so we go through, and she comes up. We don't turn the cameras on yet. We call her up. We call the congregation, let them know what's happening. Say, we're going to lay hands. She's going home. She's going to bed rest for the next three, four weeks. So we do. And we started a 28 days fasting and praying through the book of Acts. One chapter a day. We did devotionals. We had worship prayer points. We had everything, fasting and praying. I asked the church to give up something. If you can't give up food, that's fine. Give up Nintendo. If you don't have Nintendo because you're under the age of 72, then that's fine. Give up Xbox. If you don't have an Xbox because you're homeschooled and your parents don't allow you to have that, then give up Chick-fil-A. If you can't give up Chick-fil-A, give up sweet tea. Whatever it is, give something up to be in unison as a body. We don't have to be identical. It's not about uniformity. It's about just being in unison with each other so that God can work through the gifts and the calls that he has. And as we got closer to the end of time, I'm like, Lord, we don't know. Like, is she healed? Is she not healed? Well, of course, she goes and she gets an ultrasound because she knew she was already healed. God already told her to heal. She didn't even share it with me. She wanted confirmation. And then come to find out that not only was the bump not there, because that's huge. Just the bump stop bleeding is huge. Like that, like the, like a, like a seventy percent chance that that bump still is there, even if it stops bleeding. And yet, not only did it stop bleeding, but the bump was gone. The baby was fine, and the baby still is fine. And there's no even, there's nothing. At the same point in time, the Lord then starts to bring other people in the congregation who have back pain, who have these things. And look, like, I understand it. I've watched PD do this stuff like, like nobody's business. I've watched Tyler do this. I've watched Tom do this. I've watched Nathan Harmon do this. I've watched these other men do these things. This is not the background I come from. And yet we started doing what the word of God said, powered by what the spirit of God led us to, because I have no power of my own. But when God said lay hands, we laid hands. When God said pray, we prayed. When God said fast, we fasted. When God said to do this, we did it. And we didn't have to have the answers, because see, that's one of the biggest things, all the way back to our theme for today. Are you willing to submit to God's will and surrender your own will. There's two types of forgiveness that I want to talk about tonight. One type of forgiveness is the forgiveness that God enjoins to mankind. Do you know where that comes from? Forgiveness comes to you by faith in Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. 
when you, by faith, see a bleeding, dying man. And now listen, Yeshua the Messiah was a man. Do you understand that? He was God absolute, but He was man absolute. And the Bible declares that God found fault with the law. You know what the fault was? It wasn't with His holy word. It was with your flesh. Your flesh is unable. Your flesh is not willing. The Bible declares your flesh is absolutely enmity against God. It hates God and it don't want God ruling over Him. And God made provision for the flesh. So tonight, for a moment, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Don't raise your hand because God may require it of you and watch you. But could you require, could you raise your hand tonight and say, I know that I've got forgiveness of sins. Have you ever experienced what it means to be forgiven? To be pardoned? Yes. Give Him new life, O oh Lord. <laughs> yes, Father, yes. Old things are passed away, brother. Yeah. I'm so glad that God has brought us through, and, and He does have such good things in store, and you can't see it when you're in the mess. Right? You, if you could look back on your, on your younger self, then you could teach him a few things, right? I was raised in a church home also. My mom and dad were my Sunday school teachers at different ages. And um, that all changed when I turned 13. On my mom and dad's anniversary, um, which would have been August 28th of uh, 1987, or August, yeah, August 31st of 1987, um, he didn't come home. He worked at Southwestern Bell in Springfield, Missouri. And so at that time, there was no cell phones, but mom stayed up on the phone calling hospitals and sheriff and, and those kinds of things, trying to get a clue as to where he was. So we got up the next morning, went on to school and got home. And that evening, my mom sat us down and said, um, your dad died, have a heart attack in Springfield, so he's not coming home. And I took off running through the woods because it was that same thing. Everything was perfect. We were like the White Cosbys. That's what I kind of felt like, you know? And, um, and so our life took a turn for the worse. My mom was without support and three boys and trying to support them, us. And so I took off and started hanging out with the wrong crowds too. Isn't that what the enemy has a plan for you too, doesn't he? I've been raised in a good... God-fearing family. I have wonderful parents and five wonderful siblings. When I was eight, I accepted Christ into my life. I, I prayed a prayer, and um, I wanted to follow Him, but there wasn't a supernatural like experience that I had, and um, I was still struggling, like struggling with like suicidal thoughts and um, depression and anxiety. At 16, I decided I was going to move out. And I did, left them to their life and wanted to live my own and start my own. And by that time, I, I milked cows before and after school. And so I had money even though I was in school. I made the smart decision enough to stay in school. And uh, it was just a spiral of being out of control. I started every day at school was, 
Uh, they want to check my bag. They want to check my locker. They want to check my vehicle for drugs, for alcohol, anything they could find all the time. And so I would sign in to school and sign in Jack Daniels. That's why I'd sign in, just to let them know they'd come and get me and make me re-sign in and all this stuff, you know. And, but it would become a serious problem. I would start my day off with just a little half pint of Jack Daniels and just sip on it all through. And through class, everything else, I'd go to the locker. And, and it was becoming a problem where I was really starting to black out and uh, forget things. And, and I, I, I held it well because I was young. But the older I got, the more difficult it became. And so here I was, I was challenged emotionally, was needed, did not need to be on living on my own with this kind of freedom. And isn't it interesting that a lot of these stories share that same spirit of suicide starts to creep in. See, God says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, so perishing is the end game with the enemy. You think you've got things under control and you're not serving God, the end game is perish. That's the separation. Perish or eternal life. And I'm, I really began to entertain that idea. Back then, like, I, with all, all the depression, all the, I, I was very self-conscious. I was very... I cared a lot about what people thought of me, and I thought it was all bad. I thought everybody hated me, and I was ugly, and whatever, all this stuff. And so that, that it, it's like an endless loop. There's like, you're anxious about what people think of you, and you're depressed because you don't think, you don't think people like you, and, and then suicidal thoughts, like, well, no one cares, and my life's just bad, so end it, right? When I was really small, I found the handgun under the mattress, and my mom came in, and I pulled the trigger towards her and it misfired, it didn't go off. And it was fully loaded. So I had that in my car one night after a party. I went, um, got the 22 handgun, pulled it to my head and pulled the trigger. And it misfired. And I held it to the ground and it went off again and instantly I was scared. It, it, the realization of what I would have just done If you love me, you shall guard my commands. And I shall ask the Father, and he shall give you another helper to stay with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world is unable to receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. For this cause, we also, since the day that we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with all the wisdom or knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us accepted to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. 
who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. Even the forgiveness of sins. Because I couldn't see in the desperation and the, the shame and, and the guilt and, the, and the, the death that I was living, that God had a future in that. And that's what the enemy always does. He tries to steal your vision. See, division just simply means two visions. The enemy always causes division because he doesn't want you to see the vision of God. He wants to give you a new vision, right? A vision that looks like it leads to life, but it only perishes you. It only brings destruction. And so then I lived that way for quite a while where I was afraid um, and yet I was still suicidal. I partied. I, there was no end in sight. I graduated from high school. I became an EMT in Missouri. I don't know if anybody knows what an EMT is, right? I always say I was empty in misery, but um, anyway, um, I did well in that, became Rookie of the Year, loved the trauma, joined the U.S. Navy, and in the U.S. Navy, I praise God for the U.S. Navy, because while I was in the service, a young man came up to me, and he said, I'm going to just be real honest with you. When I was 13, though, I, I, I cried out to God, and I had a, a supernatural experience and a salvation experience, and I, I was truly His, and for a while, like for a week or two, like all the depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, like all that was gone. But I became complacent quickly and I just kind of slid right back into and all the, the, the thoughts, all that, it all just came right back because I wasn't consistently seeking him out. So you don't understand how far reaching what you shared today and when you share the gospel and when you plant the seed and, and you water it, God will bring the increase. He said, you're on your way to hell. And I was like, what? What do you want? Well, I'm not on my way to hell. What about, see, I could point at everybody else's stuff, but I couldn't look at my own. I had run for so many years, running from my own, the stench of my own sin, and everybody else's was somewhere, so much more stinkier than my own, right? And so it brought me, I always say it was the most anointed and annoying thing I ever heard. Because here I was angry that that was the truth, that I was on my way to hell. But the problem was raised in church and, and, and with believers and didn't know how to stop that. I didn't know what to, well, what am I going to do now? I'm on my way to hell. But I knew it was the truth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And oh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For to you belong the power and the might and the glory forever and ever. We glorify you, we praise you, Yeshua, we thank you. You are the Lamb that is slain. 
You are the only worthy sacrifice. You are holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty was, who is, and who is to come. You are the Alpha, the Omega. You are the one true God. There is no one besides you, Father. And we will never compromise your name again. We will never be sorry for proclaiming your name. We will never apologize. Father, I pray, Lord, you would take fear out of this room for us, that we would never be ashamed again. Lord, I pray that wherever we go, wherever we do, whatever we have on our heart to say, that you would give us the boldness to say it. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, Father. Thank you for what you've done here. We praise you for every miracle, every healing, and every ear that has heard your truth. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. And tonight, the other type of forgiveness I want to bring to you is a brotherly, sisterly forgiveness. You know, the Bible says that in 1 John, if any man hate his brother, that darkness has blinded him, and he does not know where he's going. I had a young 15, 16, 17-year-old man growing in my home. And some of you that know that is, that can be a kind of frustrating place at times. They're learning who they are, and they're trying to exercise that. And there were some bumps in the road, we'll say. I had sold our house and he was 16 and we had moved into a friend of ours house. And that's, that's a lot when you got at that time, we had seven children and we're moving into a house where his family's living. And for whatever reason, I don't remember tonight, but I remember that he had done something and it offended me and I wasn't talking to him and he wasn't really talking to me. And I was in this room with my wife and down the hall, there was a pool room where my other, my two sons were at. And a couple of days had passed and he tried to talk to me a little bit, but I just, I wasn't done holding the grudge. Men can hold grudges pretty good. Some men. But at night I couldn't sleep. I would lay in the bed and this is my prayer. Father, please send my son to come talk to me. I can't rest tonight. Send my son to come and just come and say something to me and I'll, I'll make this right. That went on one night. It went on another night. He never came. One day I got the courage to talk to him. I said, son, I, I want to talk to you. I said, uh, I know I've been angry with you. I've been frustrated. I'm sorry. He said, dad, I'm sorry. I know I can be mouthy and be disrespectful. And I said, son, I know I can be hard and and we made up. But what got me was this. I said, son, can I tell you the truth? He said, yeah, dad. I said, every night I would lay in the bed and I would pray that you would come and speak to me. You know what he told me? He said, dad, every night I'd walk the hall and I'd stand at the door wanting to come in and talk to you. I'm suppressing and looking different, but truly made clean yeah. completely. I've never experienced that or understood that until um, now, because I know one forgiveness in your heart is going to cost me my life when I get um, to the Father. And so I'm excited for all of that being done, and I'm excited that it will never come back and mm -hmm. get me, because I know before it had the opportunity um, to still rise up in yes. me, but I'm excited to get rid of it once and awesome. for all. Um, and to walk with the Lord and be completely dead in myself and just let Him live through me and guide me in every way. Awesome. So Awesome. Yeah. All right. So excited. Well, Father, I just thank you for Sarah, Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for just bringing her to this moment. Holy Spirit, 
thank you, Lord, for the conviction that you've brought her here with. And so, Lord, right now we surrender all unforgiveness to you and all the hurts and betrayals that she's gone through. Lord, I thank you for delivering her from all of those in the name of Yeshua. And so right now, I baptize your name, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Die with Christ. Eyes of Christ. Fill her up, God. Fill her up, Holy Spirit. Fill her up, Lord. Yes, Lord, we give you all unforgiveness right now. We surrender all that right now. We command her to leave right now. Name Yeshua. Thank you, Father, for your freedom, Lord. Thank you for your freedom, Lord. Thank you for your freedom, Lord. Thank you, Father, Lord. Thank you, Father, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're empowering her for new and new to new heights, Lord, in your Holy Spirit, and walk in your spirit and your power as she desires. I thank you for giving her eyes of discernment. I'm 16. I know I don't look it, but it's true. Like, I can show you my driver's license after. <laughs> so uh, when I was 14, like, things hadn't really changed. Like, I, I knew I was a believer. Like, I want to emphasize that I, I was. I was a believer. I hadn't a truly like, supernatural experience, but I just kind of went back and forth because I I I knew I was his, but I didn't. I wasn't confident in that my identity was truly found in at the cross, like what he did. It was I still struggled with what I what I looked like and what all that stuff. <clears throat> and so then uh, last year, no, this year, March, um, my parents were like, "Hey, we're going to a tent revival," and I was like, "You mean with people?" <laughs> so. <clears throat> I was not thrilled about it, but I went along and I was like, it's, it's going to be okay, like, it's going to be fine. But, uh, you know, the first night of worship, I just kind of sat in the back and I was like, oh, my hair looks weird and I'm standing where I just got to, you know, and all that. And um, then, so PD, the name of disciples, like, they were all there and uh, PD called everybody up, called all, all the young people up and I was like, oh, do I have to go? I don't know, I'm not going to, uh, I should go, everybody else, yeah, I'm going to go. And so... <coughs> <laughs> I, I went up and I was like kind of standing there awkwardly like okay but then he was talking and he was like prophesying and praying and it was really good I had an experience and it was, it was super good and then there was more worship and it was just it was different from then on my, my attitude changed I got deliverance and all the depression and anxiety suicidal thoughts like that was gone yeah by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony of my faith. And when people meet you, you need to let them know that. You need to let them know that not only with your words, but with your life. So I wrote to my mom, I asked her to mail me my Bible. When I left 16, someone at, from the house, someone had given me a Bible. It was a little Thompson chain reference Bible. Was it still in the box under the bed? And I said, mail that thing out to me. My dad read this Bible. He read the book. In fact, when I was young and I would come in before work and there's many times I would get behind the chair, he would plant his face in to try to scare him because he would pray. He was a prayer warrior. He'd cry out to God. And so I knew 
when my dad died, he had made heaven his home. I knew it. I knew if anybody went to heaven, my dad went. And I said, the answer's in that book. I don't know where. How sad to be raised in religion. It's not the church's fault. It's my own. Right? See, we can point fingers of why we're the way we are, but it's our own choices. It's our own fault the way we are. We can't blame anyone for what they did, the choices they made. Our choice is our own. And so I, I, I didn't know where to start, so I started in, in Proverbs. Well, they were kind of like Chinese secrets to me. Every once in a while I understood one, the rest of them I didn't. So I'm like, well, now where am I going to go? So I flipped over all the, all the little books. I'm like, I got a short attention span. I'll just read like 1 John and James and 1 2 Peter, just things that don't take very long. And I can think about it, right? So I get to James chapter 3, and it's dealing with the tongue. If any man controls not his, his tongue, this man's religion is in vain. And I'm reading that verse, and I'm going, I'm done. I don't have a chance. I was in the Navy teaching people how to cuss. There's no way. I mean, I, on your own from 16 and can say anything you want that you think just flies out of your mouth. And now you're saying, if you can't control your tongue, you might not even, don't even worry about seeking God. And I'm like, I'm done. I am done, brother. So anyway, inside of the barracks was one bathroom. So everybody shared one bathroom, had multiple stalls and sinks and that kind of thing. And I didn't want to do that. I'd lived on my own. And down the hall was a janitor's closet. In the janitor's closet was a sink and a, a, a mop, kind of shower stall thing and a stall. And I'd go in there, shut the door. You weren't supposed to go in there, but I did it anyway. Just went in there, shave, and just got my thoughts collected and whatever, get ready for the day. And I'm in there two weeks after being in the Word of God. And I'm shaving, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I made eye contact with myself. And I didn't recognize who I was looking at. I was changing. And I thought, it's because of that book. It's because of the Word of God. I am not recognizing. And the first time in my life, I felt the presence of God came upon me in the sink of that bathroom. And I began to tremble and quake and began to weep and sob. It's as real to me today as it was that day. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I began to realize I was being freed of all the junk, all the crud, all the layers, all the layers of oppression and depression and all of the false things that I had associated with in life. And so I just, first thing I thought, this is just how a secular mind thinks, you know. First thing I thought was, nobody's going to believe what I'm telling or what I'm, what's happening to me. When I tell them, nobody's going to believe this. They're just going to think you're on drugs. There's no way. I never heard there was a presence of God. I had never heard that in my life that you could feel the presence of God. How am I going to explain this to people? So it's funny how God uses that. The search for purpose. The beauty of Yah is found in the feeling of peace. There's a feeling that you get when you enter a place where Yah's spirit dwells. 
It's like an adventure beyond the vastness of Earth. It's like an ocean that has no end. It's like a living wave. It's the adventure that never ends. Guys, I want to ask you something. Why are you here? Why have you brought your family here? And what does it mean to really be here in this room? What does it mean to, to raise our hand and worship to Him here tonight? What, what does it really mean? Does it mean that I am doing it as to how do I look to my neighbor? How do they look to me? What is all this about? We're not here to play today in this weekend. We're here to worship the one true God. And now listen to me, what does that mean? It means if we say we believe in Him, if we say we believe He's omnipresent, that means that He's here in this room. And if He's actually here in this room, what does that mean with how you worship? What does that mean? Stop thinking about your neighbor. Stop thinking about how it looks. Think about what does it look to Him? How does He see me right now? And what if tonight I go to bed and I don't wake up tomorrow? What if that reality hits my, my family? What does that mean? How was my last worship? Because come on, man, let's worship Him as it is our last. This life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away forever. You will never in your entire existence, your soul will never be able to worship Him on this earth, in this state as today. I worship of faith. See, one day you will be face to face with Him and it will be glorious. And you will worship Him because you are face to face. But blessed is He who has not seen, but yet believes. Be the one who is blessed tonight because you believe that He is here and He is looking and He is looking for a child who is childlike in their faith to say, God, I don't care what it looks like. God, I just want to worship you. I want you to have your way this weekend. What you do tonight sets the trend for this weekend for your life. If you're here and you're hungry for freedom, you're hungry to see change in your city, wherever you come from, then start tonight and posture your heart before Him in that manner. Surrender truly. And then you will see yourself living a life of true surrender, the life of Christ in and through you. Come here. They are gone from this Into your kingdom, Lord. As a teacher, Lord, it's all dead religion. We break off the lies. We break off traditions that come against you. Fill it right now. We break off frustration. We break off anger right now. And the lie that the Father is angry. We break that. Lord, I thank you, Father. But this has been another stage in your journey, Father. Lord, that you give them the mouth of God, that they would speak your words, that they would be your instruments, Father. And so, Father, Lord, I die. Die of Christ. Eyes of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, we break with anger now in the name you see. Okay, so, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Truly break every yoke off of them, Father. Break every stronghold, Lord. Whether or not he's used to this love, he's always used to